We need other believers to help us overcome sin and walk in faith. We need other believers to help us overcome sin. If we want to walk in faith, if we want to live out what we say we believe, we desperately need other, way, other believers to help us. Friends, we realize that only God's grace can change us. That's the only thing that can transform us. But God gives his grace to us in so many ways, and we can put ourselves, we talk often, of putting ourselves in the pathway of grace, those pathways where we see God's grace poured out in many ways. Things like reading scripture and memorizing scripture like the fourth graders did this morning. In our prayers and celebrating communion, there's many things that cause us to pause and reflect on God's grace that help us fight sin. But one way that God loves to pour his grace to us and to grow us is through one another. It's through the community of faith. Our church community, friends, is a grace gift from God in so many ways. And one in particular that James hones in on this morning is to help us overcome sin. We need other believers to help us overcome sin and to walk in faith. Now, if we think about that, the starting point here is the painful reality that we all know very well is that we sin and continue to sin and continue to sin day after day after day. Look back at verse 16 and how he begins. Therefore, confess your sins. Notice that word, your Those are the sins that you and I personally do, the sins that we are responsible for, the sins that we will give an account before a holy God one day for. If you notice in this verse, there's no if here. It doesn't say, if you sin, confess your sins. The if is gone. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we saw an if related to sins back a verse earlier, and that was in the context of being sick. He says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Just to remind you why there was an if there on that phrase, it's because he was showing us that sometimes sin can lead to sickness, but not always. Not all sicknesses come from sin, though some do. So the if was there because it was dealing with physical healing and physical sickness and the effects of sin on that. Here, though, he's broadening out. He's speaking of all situations. Now he's talking about our ongoing struggle with sin. Therefore, there's no if. It's a question of when, because you and I daily struggle with our sin. Now, we talk about sin a lot, but let me remind us what we're talking about. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. If you think of archery and the big target, this is when the arrow doesn't even hit the bullseye. It's when the arrow doesn't even get to the target. It hits the ground below. You've missed the mark. You've fallen short of the standard. That's what the imagery of sin is. And the mark that we have is God's standard, what God's word reveals to us. That God hasn't left us wondering where the target is. God hasn't left us wondering what the standard is. He's put it in black and white right before us. He's given us his revelation of how he wants us to live. And so sin is anything that misses the mark, anything that disobeys God's word, anything that breaks his standard. Now, I know we've said it before, but I want to remind us, when we talk about sin, it includes two things. It includes the sins of commission, the things that we do that God's word tells us not to do. So if you think about what we've seen in James so far, he's told us not to have angry speech. So if we have angry speech, that's a sin of commission, or not to lie. If we lie, that's a sin of commission, or not to show partiality or favoritism. If we do that, that's a sin of commission. We're doing what we're told not to do. But God's word also describes what it calls sins of omission. That's when we omit, when we fail to do what God has said to do. And as we walk through James, we've seen many places where we can have sins of omission. If we do not find joy in trials, that's a sin of omission. If we do not love others, that's a sin of omission. If we do not trust God with our future, that's a sin of omission. If we're not praying, as we've seen these last few weeks, then that is a sin of omission. As you think about the sins of commission, the sins of omission in our lives, we pull all that together. Again, we realize we fall very far short of God's standard. That's why we can very quickly affirm what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If any of you says, I think we got on the screen for you there, but in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if any of we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Because, friends, we all have sin. And the sin struggle is real for me. It's real for you because there's a very real enemy who tempts us and opposes us. 
Because there's a world that we find ourselves in that hates God's standard and wants us to conform. But more than that, the greater danger is because of my heart and your heart. The greater danger is not out there. The greater danger is because our desires want what is out there. Mind you what we saw in James chapter 1, verse 14. If we go back to James 1, 14, the struggle, the challenge we have is each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Friends, we are lured, we are enticed, yes, by the Satan, yes, by the world, but the greatest problem is my heart and your heart. Our own desires want what is put before us. So the reality is we struggle with sin. So what do we do when we sin? How should we respond to it? Well, friends, unfortunately, the way so many of us handle sin is we try to hide it. We try to ignore it. We just try to pretend it's not there, and we never get real with ourselves and with others about our struggle with sin. Friends, why do we do that? We do that because we're embarrassed by it. We feel some type of shame with it. Or perhaps we don't want people to think less of us. We don't want to face the consequences. And so our default so often is to hide our sin. Our default so often is to not deal with it. But Scripture warns us about that approach. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 tells us, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And this is a verse we need to own. This is a verse we need to chew on. We need to memorize this and think on this one like the kids showed us this morning we can do with God's Word. Because there's so much truth to this to counter what we often struggle with. In fact, this is so important. I want us to read this one out loud together. So would you read this one with me? Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Friends, talk about a counter to what our flesh wants us to do. Friends, why do we not prosper when we hide our sin? Friends, because when we hide our sin, we try to hide our sin from ourselves or hide our sin from others, it is pride. It is from pride. Because when we are hiding our sin, when we're not willing to confess it, when we're not willing to bring our sin to the light, we are all self-focused. We're worried about what people will think. We're worried about how we will feel if we do that. We're worried about the impact it might have. And so when we hide our sin, which is what our default position normally is, we are acting from a place of pride. Let me remind us what James already told us about pride in James chapter 4, verse 6. I want you to see this one. You know this one well. We've quoted this one many times. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God, what does he do to the proud? What's the next word? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, when we hide our sin, when we refuse to confess it to others, when we refuse to deal with it, it's because we're coming from a place of pride, and God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what should we do when God convicts us of sin? What should we do instead of hiding it? In one word, what we saw in our verse this morning, we're to confess it. We're to confess it. To confess it just means we affirm it. We acknowledge it. We profess it. It's the exact opposite of hiding our sin. So who do we confess our sin to? Two things we need to do when we confess our sin. Number one, we confess it to God. We always have to start here. No matter who else we've wronged in our sin, our sin primarily is an offense against God. Think about what David said in Psalm chapter 51, verse 4. In Psalm 51, verse 4, after David has committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he's killed Bathsheba's husband, he's committed all these offenses, and he says, It's against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Wait, he's just had a man killed. He's just committed adultery with that man's wife. He's saying, But God, I sinned against you, you only. He's not minimizing the hurt he caused to Bathsheba and Bathsheba's family, but he's saying the standard I broke was not man's standard. The standard I broke was God's standard. Friends, when we sin, yes, it hurts other people, but it primarily is an offense against God because it's his standard that we are breaking. So anytime we sin, the first step is we run to God and confess it to God because we have offended him in what we have done. 
And friends, we studied this a lot more when we worked through the Psalms. There's a whole genre of the Psalms called the penitential Psalms. There's Psalms that tell us how to, to show us what it looks like to repent and to confess our sins. But I want to remind you from that when we do this, when we run to God and confess our sins, look at what happens. Psalm chapter 32, verse 5, this amazing promise. I acknowledge my sin to you. And notice this, I did not cover I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you, God, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Friends, the first step when God convicts us of sin and we realize we have sin in our life is we run to the Lord and we confess our sin to God. We acknowledge our sin to him. We stop pretending. We stop trying to hide it. God already knows it does no good for us to cower and pretend it didn't happen. We run to God and are honest about our sin struggles and he forgives us our sin. The New Testament repeats that amazing promise. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I love this verse. We read it a lot together. But if, it says if we confess our sins, again, we acknowledge, we don't hide our sin. We bring it to the light before God. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, friends, when we sin, we start there. But we must not stop there. Sometimes I think it's easier for us to deal with our sin just with the Lord, but we are hesitant to take the next step. But James calls us to take the next step in confession. After we confess to God, he also calls us to confess our sins wisely to another believer. That we're to confess our sins wisely to another believer. This is what James has in view here. Go back to verse 16 of our chapter in James 5 this morning. He says, therefore confess your sins to who? What's the next word? One another. The command here is, yes, we confess to God. James is not dealing with that part, but that is true from the rest of Scripture. Now James is focusing on that next step of confession, to confess our sins to one another. Now let me remind you, if you look at the Greek on this one, this is present tense. That means it's ongoing. So you could translate this, confess your sins and keep on confessing your sins and keep on confessing your sins and keep on your confessing your sins to one another. This is to be the normal daily pattern because I sin every day and you sin every day. But the normal pattern for the church is for us to be in each other's life confessing our sins to help us grow in godliness. Now to understand what this looks like, we need to ask two questions. Why should we confess our sins to other people? And how should we confess our sins to other people? And both are really important to understand what James has in be here. The why, why should we do this? Because this is not what our flesh likes to do. But then how should we do this? We need to be wise in how we do this. So why and how? Let's start with the why. Why should we confess our sins, not just to God, but to other believers? Quite simply, because we need help. We need help to overcome, friends. We are not going to find victory over sin strongholds on our own. I have met very few people ever over the years who have overcome deep-seated sin strongholds privately. I've met very few people who have ever overcome sin patterns in their life in isolation. The people I've seen find victory over huge sin strongholds in their life have come in community. And the way that God has sanctified me in so many ways in my life is in the context of community. We need help from one another to overcome. God gives us community for many reasons, and one of those is to help us grow in Christ's likeness. And James brings this out here in verse 16. Notice the result of confession of our sins. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, what's the next word? You may be healed. He says, confess your sins that you can be healed. Now, this is a completely different word for healing than everything James has talked about in the last few verses. James likes to throw, change words on us here. And he uses a different word here for healing. This is not the word that is used for physical healing, though it can be. This is a broader word that can mean physical or spiritual healing. The way I interpret that, though some people disagree on this one, but the way I and many of the people I read interpret this is what James is doing is he's been talking about physical sickness 
and God's power to heal physical sickness if he chooses to do so. Now he's broadening out, he's talking about spiritual sickness, sin, and now how God can heal spiritual sickness as we confess and we experience forgiveness. So this is a much broader context that when we confess our spiritual sickness, when we confess our sins, that's the beginning of us finding spiritual healing from those sins. So friends, how does confession help start the process of our spiritual healing? Quite simply, because if it's done right, the person we're confessing to starts to pray for us. If we take our sins that are in secret in the dark and we bring them to the light before a mature, wise believer who is walking with God, and they begin to start praying for God to bring conviction, they start praying for us, for God to deliver us, they start praying for God to change us, God hears their prayers and answers Look at the very next part of verse 16 here. He says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now notice this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When you confess your sins to someone who is walking with God and they start to pray for you, there is great power that comes as God moves in response to the prayers of his people and does what they ask in helping grow you from your sin. That means, friends, if we're hiding our sin instead of bringing it to the light, I said earlier, that's pride. But that's also, second of all, that's folly. Because God has given us the grace gift of other believers who love Jesus, who want to pray for us, who want to walk with us, who want to help us grow in godliness. And if we are hiding our sin instead of bringing it to the light, it's not only pride, it is also folly because we're rejecting the very source of help that God has given to us. That's the why. We need help, therefore we should confess our sins to one another. The next question, though, is a very important one. How? How should we confess our sins to one another? I said we need to confess them wisely to one another. Now, this is important, friends, because many people have gone astray at this point. Many people have been hurt through unwise confession. So I want to give us five principles to help us think through how we can confess sin to one another in a wise way. Five principles to help us do this. I get four of these from a guy named Heath Lambert. He's a biblical counselor, and I've kind of tweaked and adapted what he said, and I've added one to this as well to help us think through how do we confess our sins. Number one, we need to confess our sins to everyone impacted by our sin. We start by confessing our sin to everyone impacted by our sin. I heard an author one time say the circle of confession should be as broad as the circle of the sin. The circle of confession, how far we confess our sin, should go as far as the people impacted by our sin. In fact, Jesus, we see this principle in his teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. I want you to see this up on the screen. In Matthew 5, 23, we have then Jesus' teaching of dealing with sin. There we go. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you. Now, let's stop right there. The context here is not someone just dislikes you or something. The context here is you've sinned against this person. You have offended them because you've sinned against them. And so now you're told you're in a corporate worship gathering and God convicts you that you've sinned against this person. They've been hurt by your sin. They have something against you because you've sinned against them. What do you do? He doesn't say in the next verse, stand up and turn around and tell the whole church body, hey, I realize I sinned against someone when I yelled at him or I sinned against someone when I said that mean thing to my wife, whatever. He doesn't say do that. What does he say do when you realize you've sinned against a person? Verse 24 that follows. There you go. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The principle in that is if you've sinned against someone, you go deal with that sin with them. If you sinned against a group, you deal with your sin with the group. So let's say, hypothetically, you spoke in a sinful way to your spouse this weekend. You don't need to come up here at the end of the church today and announce to everyone you spoke sinfully to your husband or wife. If the, if the scope of your sin is just your spouse, you need to go to your spouse and seek forgiveness. Confess your sin. Acknowledge your sin. Don't hide it. Confess your sin to your spouse so the relationship can be restored, but also 
so your spouse can help you grow in godliness. But let's say just hypothetically, you sin against your spouse in the presence of your kids. That never happens, right? Now the circle of your sin is broader because your kids have been impacted by what they heard and mom and dad speaking unkindly to one another. Now, because the circle is bigger, now you confess your sins not just to your spouse, you confess your sins to your kids as well because they've been hurt by your sin and you want to confess it to them as well. But let's just say hypothetically, you spoke in a simple way to your spouse in your small group gathering. Now the whole small group is impacted by your sin, so now the circle of confession needs to include your spouse, your kids, and your small group so they can pray for you, but also so there can be unity and reconciliation. The circle of confession should be as broad as the circle of the sin, the impact of the sin. The second principle, though, and this is generally, I'm going to make an exception to this in just a minute, do not confess your sin to those not impacted by your sin. Do not confess your sin to those not impacted by your sin. This is especially true when it comes to what I would call sins of thought. Friends, much harm has been done when someone confesses a sin of thought that other people didn't even know about. It's probably not going to help you to go up to a friend and say, hey, you know, I've smiled at you a lot lately, but I want to let you know I really hate you in my heart the last few weeks. There's probably not a lot of redemption that's going to come from dealing with that. That's something you need to take to the Lord in prayer and get help with from another believer. That's probably not going to bring much healing to the body to say that. Or it's probably not do much good if you go to your neighbor and say, hey, I just want to confess to you, I've really been envying your new car and your boat and your house, and I just want to let you know I've, I've been having a lot of envy towards you lately. That's probably not going to really help your relationship with your neighbor or your witness for Christ. That's something you take the Lord in prayer and take to another mature believer. And this is especially true when it comes to sexual sins and sins of thought. It's, there's going to be no good that comes to go to a person, hey, I've been thinking lustful thoughts about you. Friends, confession is, for, is to be to those, in those situations, to be to God, not to those other people. In fact, we see this modeled in the Psalms. When you see Psalm chapter 73, this is one of my favorite of all the Psalms. You know that I quote it a lot, but in Psalm 73, Asaph, who's one of the worship leaders for King David, Asaph is struggling with a sin of thought. He's struggling with a sin of envy. And he says this, but for me, my feet had almost stumbled. This is imagery describing sinning. My steps had nearly slipped. Now in verse 3, he tells us what his sin was, and it's a sin of thought. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So what does he do with this? He doesn't go stand up in the assembly and tell everyone, hey everyone, I'm struggling with envy of the wicked, come talk to me about it. What does he do? Verse 16 there in Psalm 73, he runs to God. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And then in verse 17, he says, until I entered the sanctuary of God. What does Asaph do with the sin of thought? He runs into the sanctuary of God. He runs to commune with God and talk to God about it. And he confesses his sin to God. Verse 22, and this, he has this amazing confession, though it seems strange to us in the language. This is a confession. He says, I was brutish and I was ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Asaph is confessing with this beautiful imagery to God, his sin to God. And the whole rest of Psalm 73, which I love so much, is Asaph receiving God's forgiveness and enjoying, delighting in God's presence as he deals with his sin. Because when it's a sin of thought, when it's a sin that doesn't impact other people, we need to keep our confession to God. It does more harm than good if we confess to people sins of thought that they don't even know about. Those are often unwise and dangerous. So we confess our sin to all impacted by our sin. We do not confess our sin to those who are not impacted by that. But I want to make an exception to what I just said. Number three goes with that. We need to confess, though, to a trusted, mature Christian to help us. We need to confess to a trusted, mature Christian to help us. If we're struggling with a sin of thought, yes, we should not necessarily go to that person and say, hey, I've been lusting after you, I've been envying you, I hate you, that's not going to be helpful. But we need to find a trusted believer, a mature believer to go to and say, hey, I'm struggling with my thought, I'm struggling with a sin that others do not know about, I need you to walk this 
with me. Friends, Satan wants to keep us quiet. Satan wants to keep us isolated. Satan wants to keep us trying on our own to fight whatever that sin is so he can keep us defeated. Like I said at the beginning, I met very few believers who overcame any sin, particularly sins of thought, these more private sins that they've not overcome without the help of other believers. When we bring our struggles to the light and a mature, trusted Christian starts walking with us, they start praying for us, they start asking us questions, they start holding us accountable, and Satan's grip over us begins to weaken at those times. That's what today's text is all about. Back to verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we confess to all who are impacted by our sin. We do not confess to those not impacted by our sin, except for we find a trusted, mature, wise Christian who's walking with God to say, help me with this private sin. Number four, though, this is important. When we confess our sins to another person, we need to confess them thoroughly, but not exhaustively. Now think about it. There's a distinction here. This comes from Heath Lambert. We confess them, confess them thoroughly, but not exhaustively. Some of you guys may know there's a pastor named Alistair Begg. He's got a Scottish accent. He's fun to listen to. But he said this one time about, about confessing sin. He said, sharing of sin's struggles is an opportunity for further sin. Think about that. Sharing of sin's struggles is an opportunity for further sin. Friends, when we confess our sins, we need to confess it thoroughly so that the mature believer who's walking with us can help us. But we do not need to confess exhaustively that would drag their mind through the gutter, that would cause them to have sinful thoughts themselves. They need to know enough to help, but they don't need to know so much that it's going to hurt their own pursuit of holiness. Confess thoroughly, not exhaustively. I believe this is what Galatians chapter 6 1 is all about. And Galatians 6 1 is an image for us of this. I think we got it up on the screen for you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. There we go. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So here's the, the picture of community, that a person in the community who loves Jesus but is struggling with sin, that other Christians come alongside them to help them overcome. It's the pattern that Christ has us do. Notice this, but they restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is not, oh, you're struggling. I can't believe you're doing that. This is in humility, us walking together as sinners saved by grace who need one another. I need you, you need me, we all need one another in this gentle pursuit of going after Christ together. But he says, notice this, in this idea of helping one another with sin. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so many people in, in trying to help others have heard their confession is led down paths to sin themselves. So we need to confess our sin thoroughly, not exhaustively in the context of with one another. And then number five, we need to confess willing to accept consequences. We need to confess willing to accept consequences. Friends, all throughout the scripture, we see that sin has consequences. And confession that comes from a repentant heart is willing to accept those consequences for our sins. Sometimes God does not remove consequences when we confess our sin. He keeps them there to help us heal, or he keeps us there to help others heal. He keeps them there to guard ourselves and guard others. Friends, in our culture, there is a wrong assumption that if someone confesses and someone grants forgiveness, then the consequences have to go away. But that's just simply not the case. I mean, think about that even in parenting. If my kids sin against me, and they come to me and say, Daddy, forgive me, I love to forgive them. I, it is a delight to do that. That doesn't mean the consequence goes away. It doesn't mean the toy doesn't get put up, or the money gets taken away, or whatever else, right? I love my kids enough to where I love to forgive them, but I also love to give consequences for their good because I want to see them grow beyond whatever that struggle is. The same is true in our relationships, in our walk with God, that confession and forgiveness does not mean the consequences always go away, though sometimes they do. So when we confess our sins, we're not doing it to try to get out of the consequences. We're confessing our sin because we want help from brothers and sisters and because we want healing. We're not doing it to make our life easier. 
So friends, we confess our sin to all impacted by our sin. We do not confess our sins to those not impacted except for confessing to trust a mature Christian to help us. And in that case, when we do that, we confess thoroughly, not exhaustively, and confess willing to accept consequences. Let's bring all that back together, friends. James chapter 5, verse 16. We all will sin. I will sin and you will sin. We all need grace. But God wants to part His grace in many ways to help us, and one of those is one another. We need each other to help us overcome sin and walk in faith. So I have two questions for us as we wrap it up this morning, friends. First of all, is there someone that you've sinned against recently? You know in your heart that you've offended them. Back to that Matthew 5 text. You know that you wronged them. Friends, when you realize that, are you hiding it, just hoping it'll go away and pretending that if enough time passes, things will be okay? Or are you willing to go proactively to that brother or sister for their healing in for years and to say, I've sinned against you, please forgive me. But second of all, friends, is there some sin stronghold in your life, some sin that has become deep-seated in your life that you cannot seem to find victory over? And if so, friends, are you staying silent on that? Or are you willing to find a mature brother or sister to confess your sins to for your healing? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. An author I read this week simply said it like this. He said, will you follow your fear and stay silent? Or will you live by faith and confess? Will you follow your fear and stay silent? Or will you live by faith and confess? And I pray for myself and for you, precious brothers and sisters, that God will give us much grace this week to be a people not plagued by fear, not plagued by fear of what people think or what will happen, but a people of faith who are willing to deal with our sin before God and before one another so that we can be healed and be the, the body of Christ he wants us to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your grace. Yeah, we thank you for your grace that looks upon us in our sin. And as your children, you're not angry with us. You're not mad at us. But Lord, you see us and you see Christ's righteousness covering us. Or what a precious thought that is, is that I can approach you and these precious brothers and sisters can approach you, not because of any merit we have, not because we're holy on our own efforts, but because we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. All of our sin has been put on Christ and all of Christ's righteousness has been given to us. Lord, what an incredible thought that you see Christ, Father, when you look at us. Lord, I pray that would drive us to want to more practically live out who you already see us to be. That God, that you would guard our hearts from pursuing practical holiness to get to you. Lord, we already belong to you. But Lord, I pray because we already belong to you, we will long for more practical holiness in our life. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill each one of us and you bring us God-given conviction of sin for the ways that we fail and the, way, the sins of commission and the sins of omission that we all have. We pray, though, that that conviction would not lead us to despair, would not lead us to just trying harder, but would lead us to run to you for the grace we need to overcome. It would lead us to run to one another and to be vulnerable, be transparent, and be okay not having everything all together. God, help us be real as a body of Christ to one another, to not feel the pressure to feel like we have to always pretend we're perfect people, or we're all broken in different ways. We all struggle in different ways. Help us be a people willing to walk this journey of faith together so we can be who you want us to be. Lord, we will give you the praise for what you're going to do. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?
your feet drink from the cup in your hands lay back against you and breathe feel your heart beat this love is so deep it's more than I can say I'm melting your peace so
in your word when we are not seeking you, God, when we are not actively pursuing you, Father. God, it's so easy for us to just fall away and we just become numb to everything, God, and just, just feel so dead inside, God. But when we are continually seeking you, when we are walking in your word, God, God, then we are seeing where our sin lies, God. We are seeing where we have wronged others, God, and where we have wronged you, God. And so we are led to confess, God. We are led to repentance, God. So as we seek you, God, the more we are finding you, God, the more we are falling in love with you and your presence, God. So God, may we continually seek you, Father. May we continually feel peace and just sitting in your presence, God, and drinking from your cup, God, from your word, God. Developing a heart, God, that aches, Lord, and a heart that breaks over our sin, God. We break over areas where we have wronged you, God. And the things that break your heart, God, begin to break ours. And the things that you find joy in, God, our hearts continually find joy in, God. So, God, teach us this week, God. We've just been looking at confession confessing to one another, God. If there's brothers and sisters, if there's others that we have wronged, God, God, open our eyes to those areas, God. Convict us of that, God, and allow us to reach out to those, God, and to seek forgiveness, God, for those sins, God. Be as we go now, Father. So you know we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.